Rusty Quill presents. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The status lines are parallel ones. Side by side but never touching. Welcome back to Spirit Box Radio. Hello, faithful listeners. I know what you're thinking. I mean, maybe not you specifically. I'm not... Oh, you know what I'm saying. I know how it sounds that I hit the crown. And I know why you're all talking about it. I know it sounds bad. But it's not. Honestly. Like, it's the Blood Rose Crown. Maybe I could destroy it, but I don't know how. Except I'm certain that it wouldn't be as straightforward as Scourge was saying. Exactly. It's the crown of an arcane being. The man in the flat cap is not just some jumped-up witch with a fancy hat. This crown, it's symbolic. And the thing with arcanism, when you name something, when you decide it means something like that, then you make it powerful. It's about the vibes. It's about the intention. Deliberation. It's... Yeah. 
The blood rose crown is not something you can just pull apart or set on fire. I'm sure of it. Yeah, something bad could have happened if I tried it. And, hey, I am not making excuses. Whose side are you on anyway? Cats have one foot on either side of the veil. Don't give me that. What a load of... Hey, where are you going? Oh, there goes Oliver's teapot. Oh, well. Look, I'm not making excuses. I've met the man in the flat cap once, but I've seen him twice. The first time was inside the house on Bainmouth Road. It wasn't really a house at all, or even properly a ghost of one. Not really. It was something else. An artefact of the arcane. A thing that happens when magic goes wrong. When the threads of the arcane fray, and from the right angle, something happens into existence that almost seems like it's alive. With arcane artefacts, accidents from magic gone wrong, it doesn't even have to necessarily be deliberate. The consequences... They're related to the mistake, but not in straightforward ways. The house was unpredictable to move through. Things inside it moved and shifted. Hallways got longer, staircases appeared where they shouldn't be. It was the house that Anna and Kitty remembered, and it wasn't. The way things are in dreams. It can be seen sometimes from the street, a whole house or the spectral impression of one. There, but not. Those who see it feel it called to them the frayed ends of arcane threads reaching out like fronds of ivy and weaving themselves into theirs until the house has them. Not consumed, not exactly, but immersed, conjoined, connected. Then they become ghost things tied to the house, which was made the moment I lost my memories of it. All of that happened because of magic gone wrong, and it went wrong because my mother misunderstood something crucial about the situation, about me, about the man in the flat cap. We're assuming it was made when Madame Marie tried to stop me from becoming whatever I am now, whatever I always was. But it didn't come from her. The arcane artifact came from me. That's why all the people that the house ate, their ghosts could move into the forums, why I could speak to them on the radio. It's all connected, and it's all connected to me, because it's my artefact. It came from me, from my magic. I'm capable of doing something like that by accident, and you're telling me I should have just tried to pull his crown apart? It could be an arcane artefact in itself. I could have made something. Who knows what? I am not in the habit of just happening sentiences into existence. Personally, I think it makes sense to be cautious with the crown, not to assume it would be easy to take apart and destroy. If the consequences of my mother trying to stop me were that dire... Well... It's a big deal, is all I'm saying. Not something you should just give a go and hope for the best. I'm not just making excuses. Revel, wherever you've gone to hide, I know you can still hear me, you daft cat. I'm not making excuses. I'm not. So I do understand where you're all coming from on the forums. I really do. I just don't think it's that straightforward. In better news, maybe, whilst the show was off the air, I found an augury forecast for you all. It was tucked away in the back of our sock drawer, written on a Christmas gift tag in extremely tiny font. I only found it because I was looking for the other half of my favourite pair of socks. I almost forgot about it completely because, well, 
I was avoiding the show and the forums at the time. At the top of the tag, which was shaped like a Christmas tree, it said, for the first week of the new year. It didn't say which new year, mind. But when I asked Oliver, he was pretty sure it wasn't there when he sorted through everything just before I moved in. So the soonest new year it could be is this one, 2023. And as it says the new year rather than something more specific, I'm assuming this is the one that it meant. I'll share it with you now. If your name begins with Q, this is not the time for rash decisions. Four sparrows sit in a row along the garden wall. What are they doing? Are they queuing? For what? They are birds. Who knows? All that is certain is that you will lose your keys between now and Wednesday. For those of you over five foot six, this is going to be a bad time for new shoes for at least three months. A buzzard flies clockwise above the North Tower. This month is a good one to learn a new instrument. And so concludes the augury forecast. Now then, a few people have been weighing in with their thoughts about this coven of witches Kitty stumbled across in Salem. There's often a lot of witches and arcanists in and around Salem. Like it said in Oliver's book, Loki still don't know how to process the fact that he wrote a book, it said that Salem attracts magic users and occultists because of its associations with witchcraft following the witch trials. It's been made a holy place by people treating it like it's a holy place. There are a number of groups of witches known to operate in the area, some of them who live there and others who visit regularly. Forums user Kia the Moss Boy very helpfully started a new thread for people to discuss what they knew about any witches in and around Salem, just as I asked. Thank you, Kier. A few people had something to say, but nothing that sounded particularly promising. Just friends in the area, people who had visited, but nothing like what Kitty had mentioned. A rogue coven. Up to something. I can tell she was right to be suspicious. I think I'd know if she wasn't, and like I said last week, what's the point in resurrecting her if I don't trust her instincts? I hope it's been good for her, being away. It can't have been easy the last few months. I mean, she died. And not just for a couple of minutes, like when it's happened to me. For a whole week. It's got to have a lasting effect, right? And being brought back the way I did it. Uh... I'm being sidetracked. One part of Kitty's intuition feels wrong to me, though I can't say why. My instinct when there's something suspicious going on with a group of arcane practitioners is to say they're going to end the world, and with reason, I think. But Kitty's convinced it's not about that this time. And I do trust her that this coven is suspicious, but something is telling me that it is about the world ending, but maybe not like it was with the Scaresmongers. With them, it was all about setting up the ritual, gathering support, bringing people in. I'll admit, it probably won't be like that was. I mean, like, what's the likelihood of two arcanist cults setting themselves up around making people soup? In everyone's discussions on the forums, though, several of you faithful listeners pointed out that the Scaresmongers weren't the only cannibal arcanists that we know of, and they weren't the only ones whose rituals centred around soup. Forums user Lola Cerberus Hurst could even pinpoint when exactly other mentions of arcanists eating people came up. There was the person with the burger van and the disappearing soup kitchen volunteer. The Scaresmongers, they believe they were redistributing the people they ate. Their proper name was subscribers to the redistribution. 
It was all in service of the harbinger of the end, scarcity. He was all about, well, scarcity. It's about making do with what you have, valuing the resources available to you, but in the worst way imaginable. It's, well, it's cultivating a scarcity mindset. Perhaps the people in Salem are doing something similar related to strife, but it doesn't seem similar to that letter I received some time ago about Prague, where someone actually saw strife nearby when things were going down. I feel like if it was strife, it would be violent. And if it was violent, in a smallish place like Salem, someone must have noticed. Likewise for the cannibalism, I suppose. I'd never have found Scarcity's little cults at all if Arcanists hadn't started disappearing. Kitty was one of the first ones who noticed that, too. She's a good investigator, isn't she? So if it's not Scarcity, and it's not Strife, it could be Scourge. I don't know. My intuition says it's not, but I don't know why. We've never found a cult about Scourge. No one's mentioned it, and he's never brought it up either. We've talked about the Scaresmongers, and I think I've even mentioned Strife's little fight clubs to him before, but he's never taunted me with knowledge about something around himself. And I feel like he would, wouldn't he? I don't know. Oh. Hello, Arlo. Hey, Sam. You knew it was me. It... Sorry, am I interrupting you? No, not at all, please. I- I'm airing the show. I was just talking about you, actually. Um, kind of. Uh, actually, never mind. Sorry, I didn't think. I know you're usually up at this time. I thought you weren't doing the show anymore. Um, yeah, I, uh, I picked it up again. Kitty didn't say anything? We haven't heard from her. Me and Anna, I mean. Oh. Anna's still... She's still angry about what happened. I mean, not speaking to me, I understand. But stonewalling Kitty, too? None of this is Kitty's fault. I've tried to explain that, but Anna won't... She'll come to terms with it in her own time, Sam. Yeah. She just needs time. Yeah. Anna loves you, Sam. You're her baby brother. She'll forgive you in the end. In the end. Maybe she shouldn't forgive me. What? Why? What I did to Kitty, I bound her to me without her knowledge or consent. All the other major arcana, they agreed, they consented, but Kitty, she never had the choice. I took it from her. Anna's right to be angry with me. I'm angry with me. Is Kitty? She says not, but... There you go, then. It's not that simple. Just trust people, Sam. You have to. Even though it's scary, you have to believe people when they tell you how they feel. Otherwise, well, what else is there? What else indeed? Sorry, why did you call, Arlo? I guess it wasn't just to listen to me moan about my sisters. Actually, I was wondering if you'd help me with something. I can try. I've been thinking. About the scarcemongers. What about them? I'm not the only one left alive, am I? There are more of us out there. People the cult brought in, lied to. It's the things we did when we were there. None of it is easy to live with. I love it here with Anna. But sometimes I wonder, you know, perhaps if we could speak to each other... The ones who lived through it together, I mean. Maybe it might make it easier to move on. You want to find other former scarcemongers? 
Do you think it's a horrible idea? Uh, no, no, I don't. And you want me to help? Well, a lot of them were arcanists. I know the chances of them tuning into your show are pretty low, but maybe someone who listens knows someone. There were people on your forums who knew some folks who disappeared, right? Maybe there are connections there we can use to find the other survivors. That's actually not a bad idea. You really think so? Yeah, I'll... Well, we're already on the air, so... Faithful listeners, if you know anyone who might have connections to anyone else in the Scaresmongers, we'll open a new thread on the forums about it and you can let us know, right? How's that sound, Arlo? Brilliant. I... Thank you, Sam. It's all right. Not just for this. For everything. For taking me in. I'm not sure I would have, given the circumstance. What? Don't be daft, Arlo. You're welcome here. You know that, right? Yeah. I do, but I don't get it. Not really. I'm just grateful to you and Anna. Kitty and Oliver, too, of course. Yeah, it's nothing, Arlo. It's not. And I appreciate it. You know, you did save my life. Nah, you saved your own life. And loads of other people's, too. Not really. No, really, you did. If you hadn't reached out, sent me those tapes, just think how many more people the Scaresmongers would have got to. They're all alive because of you. You did that. But I couldn't save I, Maria. I couldn't either. I'm not sure Maria wanted to be saved. I don't think Maria ever had the chance to find out what she wanted. She was just passed along from person to person, always the centre of some prophecy or other. She never got to find out who she really was. No. I... Sorry, I didn't think about... Sorry. It's okay. No, it's... I should have thought more. I... Sorry. It's fine, Arlo. Sam. I said it's fine. Okay. I'm gonna go now. Okay. I'm sorry. Bye. They're right. Maria Gillespie, false prophet of the Scaresmongers, eaten alive. And for what? What's that? Oh my god, it's... It's the letter. The letter about Maria Gillespie. It's been so long since I first saw it. I didn't even know I still had it. I've moved twice since then. The second time I met Maria Gillespie, she had drawn a picture of me and pinned it to her wall. Standard behavior for a seven-year-old. There were drawings all over Maria's walls, hyper-real in some aspects, in others, dizzyingly abstract. There were layers and layers of them, all dated and signed. 30 years worth of drawings produced by the same three-inched hands that smudged the glass between us. Maria is not seven years old. Visit her in 20 years' time, she might show me a new drawing, but Maria was born in June of 1968. When I last visited her, it was August 2012. I'm writing this down in April 2016. Whenever you're reading this, it doesn't matter. Maria Gillespie is still, for the most part, seven years old. Frozen, just like one of her paintings. Almost 60 years a child, so much of it spent alone just drawing pictures. The scarce mongers let her out, fed her people, made her grow. 
and they ate her. I wonder what she remembered before she died. Did she remember that long childhood? In those recordings of her with B, it seemed like she almost did. Almost, but not quite. I suppose memories are like that for a lot of people. I wouldn't know. All I have of my childhood are those moments when I was almost an adult, when M was already so scared of what I'd become that... And those dizzying moments, right before I met the man in the flat cap. What was that? It was almost like walking through the house at Baymouth Road. The way in to find the man in the flat cap, that was there in Dizzeth on Baymouth Road. A trap door. A trap door like what appeared when Kitty escaped from the house. A trap door like what appeared when we found M's body in what used to be her office. A trap door like I found in the house I burned down that was full of notes and letters. The house is a part of me. The trap door is a part of me. It's still there. My memories. Do you hear that? Hello? There's no one here. There's a box. What is this? It's just a box of broken glass. I... Oh my god. I can I can see someone in it. She's looking at me. Who who is that M? No. No wait, it's not, but she looks almost like her, but different. I, I... She finds it in a box left on the doorstep of her shop. It's old, thick with dust, thin finger trails cutting through to the dark, polished wood underneath. Mother of Pearl is inlaid in stars, a shimmering surface dulled by the same polish that makes it smooth as butter under her fingers, so thick that the teak seems almost black. The seam is hidden. It takes a moment to find it, and when she does, the box breathes in a sigh of air as she lifts the lid. The velvet guts of the box stink like an old house, musty and undisturbed. Inside the lined walls is a velvet sack with gold tassels. Inside the sack is a ball made of glass. A crystal ball. She's heard stories about a witch who walks here and there, a broker of deals, an arcanist who makes deals that no one can refuse, and she wonders as she sits there at the table looking at the crystal ball if it is his. She's been hoping for this, the extension of a hand, an invitation, an unsigned form. She's been so careful, so cautious in her ministrations, so precise in her calculations. She's heard stories of children, ones who were born of requests to this witch, this grantor of gifts and maker of prices. She knows he will twist it to his own will if he has let. Perhaps this is why he has sent this gift to her, because she has tried to best him at his own game. Through the ball, things are warped and miniature. She puts it back in its bag, closes the box and leaves it on the kitchen table. When she comes back the next morning, the box is gone, but the ball is still there, set upon an ornate rest, catching the morning sunlight. She covers it with a tea towel. 
That afternoon, the tea towel is gone. The crystal pool gleams. She stares at it. It seems to stare back, the window behind it like a pupil, shrunk and spun. But, wait. It's more than that. There's something in there, through the window. Something looking at her, something solid, something real. Someone. A boy. A man. She doesn't know where the thought comes from, only that it settles in her mind as she looks through the ball at the thing, the man, looking back through it. He's frayed at the edges, face shot through with cracks, and the more she looks, the more she stares, the more she sees herself in his eyes, which are far too bright, far too blue. She leans closer, closer, and sees the cracks are not cracks at all, but scars, right against his throat, climbing up his chin like vines. He's shaking, he's shaking, he's holding the glass in his hands, he sees her, she knows that he can see, and in his face she sees herself and something else, something terrible, a dark light reaching outwards. In her peripheries the world is alive with shimmering threads, the arcane world made real before her, but she can't look away from the crystal ball, holding it with both her hands, leaning closer, closer, and the man inside leans closer too, a warped reflection, his blue eyes as bright as an electric storm, his pupils like pinpricks, and within them she sees someone turn to dust in the wind, and she sees another engulfed in blue flames upon an altar in the dark, and she sees a woman, a woman who looks like her, but wrong, but different, and in an instant she knows it's her daughter, though she has no daughter and she knows too that the daughter is the mother of the man the boy the thing whose eyes she sees locked on her own the daughter is writing writing there's a smell a smell of unoccupied rooms the door is thick with something like honey but red as blood maybe it is blood but slowed down the daughter will die here she will die in this room with this microphone in front of her at this desk only only the ground it splits under her feet and the door bursts open and she's falling backwards into an uneven house a house that is familiar but unfamiliar the daughter cowers death is coming but they all know that the daughter the man and herself death is coming and they are all a part of it and he the man he is the end itself not just himself but the fabric of everything and she sees it sees it all and she sees it every moment between her own there on the kitchen floor and the man lying on the floor of another flat above another shop not far from her own just streets away and many many years and her own death and her daughter's death it's unfolding unfolding right there in her eyes and she sees behind the crystal ball there is a man in the doorway to the flat and they cannot see her face not her, not the man in the crystal ball, and she knows it's him, the one who walks here and there, and he has come to make an offer, but she already knows what she will do. The boy in the crystal ball, he is the end, the gift, and the means, the price. Her grandson, child of her daughter, a daughter she will carry, who will live happy days in this very flat, this flat that belongs to her mother, who will one day hear and raise the man staring at her from this crystal ball, with growing horror in his voice as he speaks it all, speaks everything she thinks and feels, speaks it fast and furious into the shard of the ball she holds in her hands, this crystal ball that belongs to the one, the one who walks here and there, a crystal ball which does not show the future but consequences, and on this floor she will die, and her love will die with her, for the birth of a daughter they'll barely hold, a daughter who will grow the end of us all inside of her, a boy who will stare into a shard of a crystal ball and see it, see the cost of his life, the blood spilled already on his behalf, the deal is writ, the deal is writ, the price is paid, the end is high, the deal is writ, the stones are laid, you will you before you were born and this is what you're meant for ender of worlds breaker of deals the end the deal is writ the deal is writ sam are you all right yeah i'm okay i'm okay they she 
The prophecy. What are you talking about? My grandfather knew. She... They died. Oh, your hand is bleeding. It's nothing. I was just... I held on too tight, that's all. Is that a shard of glass? Yeah, I think. I think it's a piece of my mum's old crystal ball. I thought that the pieces disappeared when your old house burned down. <laughs> so did I. What did you see? Myself. Sam. Don't. It's fine. I swear to you, it's fine. All right. Uh, I... I'm still broadcasting. But you, you don't have a microphone. No. I don't need one. I haven't needed one for a long time. Let me... I, I don't know what that was, faithful listeners. It, it, it was like it was pulling me in. Pulling me closer. Madame Marie's crystal ball was made for her mother. It was made to show her me. Or maybe to show me her. Maybe it's all the same thing. I, I don't know. I'm worried about you. Yeah, me too. I'm so tired now. Like it's drained something out of me. Come on. Let's get some tea and go to bed. Good night, faithful listeners. Be safe. Spirit Box Radio is a Hanging Source Studios podcast, written, directed, edited, and produced by Aira Major. This episode starred Reba Yo as Arlo, Will J. Cummings as Oliver, Assorted Cats as Revel, and Aira Major as Sam Enfield. If you enjoy the show and want early access and bonus content, you can help us by supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Hanging Source Studios. Spirit Box Radio is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. Spooky. Ah.